Thank you very much. Powerful song. God sent his son. Jesus chose. Jesus died, but we also must choose. We are continuing our series this Sunday morning on the one another's in Scripture. Last time we were together, we looked at forgiving one another. Today, we're going to be looking at another one of those injunctions from Scripture. A wild after-school brawl erupted last September outside a Long Island strip mall. When it was all over, a 16-year-old student was gravely wounded with a stab wound to his chest. But most of the 50 or so teenagers in that Oceanside, New York, who witnessed the fight made no attempt to defend the victim. In fact, some stood by recording the fight and his suffering on their cell phones. The police said that Kashin Morris died at the hospital. Kids stood there and didn't help him. Detective Lieutenant Stephen Fitzpatrick of the Nassau County Police Department said in a news conference, they videoed his death instead of helping him. This has come to be called bystanders syndrome. How horrible. Just watching someone die. Instead of helping him or getting him to the hospital, you just record it on your cell phone. That is happening more and more. It's a terrible tragedy. How horrible. Yet we as believers in Christ often stand by and watch as our fellow believers make tragic choices and dangerous decisions that will often ruin their lives. And we don't say a word. We just watch it. We need to remember that the Bible has challenged us with a, another one of those one another's, and it's called admonish one another. Romans 15, 14 is the text that we're going to be reading, and today it's just one verse. We'll look at some other verses of Scripture as we continue on, but Romans 15, 14 is our text. Let me read that for you. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Father in heaven, we bow in your presence today and pray that you would help us as we look at the text here of admonishing, you would help us to learn what it means and how to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Admonish one another. What does that mean? Well, in order to explain what it means, the actual word admonish is used to mean to warn, to instruct, or to counsel. The word in Greek is nutheo, and it literally means to put sense into someone. You ever had to do that? Just, just put some sense into somebody's mind? That's the word admonish. And actually, this... Um, is a milder form than when uh, John the Baptist preached. You know, he, he, warned, he warned, but the word there is a little more intense. He called uh, them generation of vipers. Uh, and it's, more, uh, it's less intense than when Jesus pronounced woes upon the Pharisees. But this word, admonish, means to come alongside and attempt to inform. And we get this idea of nuthetic counseling. That's counseling from the Scripture, 
is trying to put some sense, some biblical sense into someone's mind. So counseling is a perfect use of this word to admonish. Now we have some examples of admonishing in the Old Testament. Remember the king, David. David was one of the greatest kings of all Israel. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say he was a man after God's own heart, but he did mess up. Remember him? He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And not only adultery, he had this cover-up going. And uh, he had covered it up by having her husband murdered, and, and it was a big hush-hush. But there was a guy by the name of Nathan who was a prophet that came to David and told David a story, a story about a rich man that wanted to have a party for his friends. Instead of using one of his own lambs, he went over and he took the poor man's lamb and he had it slaughtered for his guest. And David, of course, was incensed at the thoughtlessness of this rich man who had plenty in his own, and he took someone else's little lamb, and Nathan looked at David and said, David, you are the man. And his words cut through David's callousness, and Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 show that David repented. You see, Nathan admonished him. I think of another incident in the Old Testament in the life of Moses. Moses was leading the children of Israel to the promised land in the wilderness wanderings, and he had so much to do. He had a, a, over a million uh, Hebrews following him and so many issues and so many problems, so many things that he had to sit down and counsel. And someone was watching in the sidelines and came up to Moses, and it happened to be his father-in-law. How many of you father-in-laws had to put some sense into your son-in-laws? <laughs> I know I've had occasion to do that once or twice. And his name was Jethro, and he says, Moses, Moses, you're going to wear yourself out. You're going to just end up in an early grave. This is too much for you to do. Listen, let me give you some advice. Take 70 men, competent men, and let them handle the little issues, and you handle the big ones. That way, you're not going to wear yourself out. You see... Jethro was able to put some sense into Moses. He was able to counsel, to admonish him. But in the New Testament, that word is also used in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happen to them as examples, meaning the Old Testament stories, the Old Testament examples, good and bad, they happen as examples and they were written for our admonition. We need to learn from the examples of the Bible, the good and the bad, things that happened to people, the mistakes that they made and the successes they had, our admonition. Another word in the New Testament for admonition is in Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, how many of you are fathers out there? Okay. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. In other words, that word admonition is supposed to be applied in the family setting. You know, I think one of the problems that we have in our society today with everything uh, unraveling is that the fathers haven't put sense into their kids. They haven't sat down and says, hey, this is what God's word says, and, and you need to be doing that, and you need to be learning that. So there's not been that kind of admonition. 
Well, the ideas in these verses, Old Testament and New Testament, is to restore to usefulness those that have damaged themselves. Get them fixed up. Get them back on the road. My wife and I uh, were ministering in a church in Iowa, and they, as we were getting ready to leave to a new ministry, they gave us a rocking chair that had been used in the nursery. It had been used for decades to rock the church babies to sleep, and they were remodeling, and so they, they gave it to us, and it was a solid oak, but it, it kind of was wore down, and as a matter of fact, I think somehow we, one of the boards in the back of that oak rocking chair was broken. So when we got up to northern Indiana, where we ministered in uh, Amish country, I heard about an Amishman by the name of Hostetler, who was... Uh, her, he was a master craftsman at woodwork, you know, and uh, I had contacted him through another guy in our church, and he had taken the chair and take it over to the Amishmen's. They don't have garages, you understand. Uh, they don't drive cars, but something where you put your horse and buggy in. I don't know if you'd call it uh, some kind of shed that he had all his wooden tools out there, and he took that, he took the, the boards apart, and he uh, put new boards there that matched, matched the wood. It was a, kind of a tiger oak stripe. He said, this is a very valuable wood. This is an unusual striped wood. And he varnished it. He sanded it down. He tightened the joints. And it's in perfect condition. And it's still sitting in our living room today. You see, it was broken. But it was valuable. And it was put back together, restored. And that's exactly what God wants to do in this whole process of one another. A lot of times, God's people get out of joint. A lot of times, God's people get broken. Something happened in their life, and they're off the road. And we, as God's people, need to put them back together and using the words of Scripture and our kindness and our love to get them to a place where they're useful again. This is what we're trying to accomplish here with this word, admonishing. But who's responsible for doing that? Well, let's look at some things. First of all, those who minister the word. The pastoral epistles are First and Second Timothy and Titus, and Paul is admonishing Timothy and Titus that one of your roles, one of your jobs is to warn, to instruct, to admonish. He told Timothy in Second Timothy 4 this, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, when you get up to preach the Word of God, use the Word to warn, to instruct, and use it in season and out of season. I think in season would be the public teaching of the Word, but out of season would be uh, his encounters with various people in, in the assembly as they go through life and probably sitting down with them and having a lunch and counseling them, instructing them, or if someone's... Uh, fallen away, go to that person. This, use the Word of God 
And that was the responsibility of those who were ministering the Word. But not just those. Also, every believer. Notice in Romans 15, verse 14, our, our theme verse or our, our text. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren. Now, Romans was not written to a pastor. It was written to just the people that were assembled together. It was just the general Christians that were there in the assembly. And they were written to every believer. So every believer was responsible, not just the elders in the church at Rome. Just because we do not have a uniform on doesn't make us exempt from helping people that come our way in life. You know, I, I told you the story about the bystanders just taking their cell phone video of that guy that was stabbed. There's some good news that I heard this last week. Last Sunday, the newspaper came out with this. Emergency crews were called last Sunday to Highway 501 near the Horry-Marion County line in South Carolina for a sinking vehicle call. Five people were rescued from the SUV and taken to the hospital for evaluation. Thomas Fee said he was on Highway 501 and driving back into Horry County when he noticed a vehicle was fishtailing because of the wet roads. Fee said before he knew it, he saw a massive splash after the SUV went into the water. All of it was captured on Fee's dash cam video. It jumped, Fee said, of the vehicle. I saw its brake lights, and then it just disappeared, and there was a huge splash of water. He pulled over on the side of the road, and two other good Samaritans were helping the five people out of the SUV. Fee said the water was extremely cold, but that didn't stop him from jumping in the water. By the time I got there, I didn't think anybody was going to live, he said. Fee said there was a man, a woman, three kids, including a six-month-old baby and a puppy, all inside of that vehicle. He said the people inside the car were shaken. The father was frantic, of course, just trying to get this, his family to the shore. Rescuers were able to get everyone out of the vehicle. Fee's son, Larry, says his father's actions were nothing shy of heroic. He doesn't come as, that doesn't come as a shock to him as he stopped the way he did. He always wanted to help people. Fee doesn't want to soak in the limelight, though. He insisted that the other two men that helped did a lot more than he did. But this humble, good Samaritan was a hero in stopping to save someone's life. You know, he wasn't a first responder or a police person at all. He just saw something and he jumped in. And I think when we look at that, you know, God has called every one of us when we see something and he burdens our heart. We need to jump in with this idea of admonishing our fellow believers. So not only those in ministry, every believer, but there's a third category of those who should help, competent believers. Paul in Romans 15, 14, our text says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. You see, there's this third level, and this is competent believers. There was two qualities that Paul mentions about these people in Rome that he had observed and he had heard, that they were filled with all goodness and filled with knowledge. Goodness means godliness. Knowledge means they knew the word. So 
in order to be competent, we need to know something about the Bible. We, we need to know what we're telling people, not just say, hey, you know, I, I think that's a kind of a, a lousy idea. No, you say Scripture says that this is probably what you need to be doing. And we also need to exam, uh, examine our own life and make sure that we are godly as well. Because we just can't say, do this when we're not doing it ourselves. We need to be living it ourselves. So if we're going to be, you know, pointing out to others, we need to make sure that these three fingers are pointing right back at us. We need to be living it as well. We need to watch out for the beam in our own eye when we're starting to notice the beam in other people's eye. Jesus never told us not to judge and not to be, uh, use the scriptures. He told us to make sure that we judge ourselves first. And then we'll be clearly able to help somebody else out. And we're not criticizing their motives. We're trying to help them to get back on the track. That's what admonishing is. So what are we trying to accomplish? First of all, we're trying to accomplish a maturity that is fully equipped for good works. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, what is right, for reproof, what is not right, for correction, how to get right, for instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. So God's Word is what we use. We use that to bring about maturity that the man of God may be fully may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get people restored so that they could be used by God for good works. How many of you ever uh, need to fix something and you go into your garage or your tool chest and you find just the right tool and you get it out and you're about ready to use it and find that it's broken or it's dull? Or it's rusted. <laughs> Last time you uh, loaned it out, somebody left it out in the rain and it rusted shut. I tell you, those tools aren't very good unless they're in good order. And you know, this is what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people equipped to be fully good, uh, full of good works, usable for the Lord. We're also trying to get people to, to walk a worthy walk. First Thessalonians says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father of his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're trying to get people to walk worthy. That's what we're trying to do. We're not just trying to sit around telling people what to do and how to live. We're trying that all of us would be walking worthy of the Lord and also that we would build up other believers. In Acts 20, Paul says this, when he was... Um, Taking a visit to the Ephesian elders, he said this, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, that, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, to build you up. It's one thing to be saved, but it's another thing to be built up. And that's exactly what part of this job of admonishing one another does, it gets believers that are beyond the babyhood stage and they're being built up in the faith. And it 
and it is encouraging to see admonishers in your life. Can you think of those people? Can you think of someone who came alongside you maybe when you were young in the faith and says, you know, my friend, you ought to really quit doing this. <laughs> it's going to really destroy your life. Or, you know, let me encourage you, and, and why don't you try this and, and start obeying the Lord? And that changed your life, and it helped you on the, low, the road to being built up. Well, how should we be doing this admonishing? We, we see in Scripture that we are to admonish one another. And as if you listen or read the New Testament, that's what Paul was doing so much of the time when he wrote, writes letters to individuals, when he writes letters to churches. He is admonishing them. He's challenging them. He's teaching them, instructing, and he's warning them. Well, what kind, how should we be doing this? First of all, persistently with compassion. Back to Acts 20, verse 31, Paul was teaching, uh, he had to stop on his, one of his missionary journeys to go back and talk to the pastors, to the elders that were there in Ephesus. And he didn't have time to go into town, so he said, meet me on the shore, because we're going to stop just for fuel or, uh, no, not fuel, uh, no, no, that was wind. Uh, no, stop, stop for something, in other words. <laughs> Got to make sure I'm in the right uh, millennium here. Anyway, he was stopping. He says, come on down to the shore so I, I can talk to you. And he challenged them. He says, remember, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul spent more years in Ephesus than any other of the missionary journeys that he was on. Three whole years. And he taught them. And he warned them night and day. This was not just an hour on Sunday morning type of thing. He was with them in the shops where they ministered. He walked with them various places in the evenings. He met with them on Bible studies and counseling. Who knows what kind of it. He invested his life for three years consistently, persistently doing that. You know, we need to understand that... Uh, Spiritual growth doesn't just happen one hour on Sunday morning. If that's all the spiritual input you're getting, I want to say you need a lot more. You need to get into the Word yourself. You need to go to a Bible study. You need to, to be doing something more than just, because it, it takes a lot more to mold a character. So Paul persistently, also he had compassion, compassion with tears, with tears. Tears are often involved in the ministry of admonition. Now, I don't know why Paul had tears, but I do know that sometimes in ministry, when you're dealing with individuals and you see a child has gone astray of a family that's faithful in church, and they used to come when someone goes off into the world, it just breaks your heart, and you have compassion for that person. Or someone that had a marriage broken, it breaks your heart as well. Or someone has gone off the deep end into deep sin. Or someone uh, who had something happen, a tragic uh, thing in their life that just threw their faith. It, it just causes you. His kind of ministry was persistent, but also cared about people. And we need to be doing that. That's the kind of thing. Compassion, Swindoll says, is sometimes 
the fatal capacity for feeling what it's like to live inside someone else's skin. I was 25 years old and anticipating my first ministry as I graduated from college. I had my Bible degrees in my hand, and I was called to a church in northern Iowa, a little town in Britt, Iowa, 30-some people there. Well, I was ready to go and change the world, <laughs> and I was excited about getting into my first church pastorate. And I needed a verse from Scripture to kind of be the guide for me to to model my ministry after. And as I was reading Scripture, I came across Romans 12, 15, which really had was my shaping influence in that first ministry. Romans 12, 15 simply says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And that's the kind of ad admonishing we need to do. When we see people that are doing well, and things are great in their life, we get alongside them and we rejoice with them. But when we see failure, we see brokenness, we see weeping, then we stand right next to them and weep with them. It's a compassionate, caring type of ministry if you're going to do this kind of thing. It's got to be done with compassion. Also, it needs to be done with the proper motives. Paul really wrote some strong words to the Corinthians. Well, I tell you, he called them on the carpet in ink so many times in 1 Corinthians. And he writes in chapter 4, verse 14, he says this, I do not write these things to shame you. I really don't hate you guys. I'm not just trying to point fingers at you. You know why? He wrote these things, these hard words, these admonishing words to the Corinthians but as my beloved children, I warned you. He looked at those Corinthians that he had seen God work in their life, and he felt like they were his own children, and he cared about them. He had the proper motives. You know, we love our kids, and we tell them things that are valuable because we don't want to see them suffer. And the same is true with fellow pilgrims and fellow church family. We want to see them su succeed in the things of God. We love them the proper motives, and also the proper goals. Colossians 1, <coughs> verse 28 and 29 says this, Him we preach, warning, there's that word nutheo, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ, mature. That's our goal. That's what we want to see happen, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And finally, the last thing and not the least thing, considering ourselves. Galatians 6.1 says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. Now, this is believers that Paul is writing to the Galatians about. Maybe, maybe someone in the church has been overtaken in some type of sin. Maybe they've fallen out of fellowship with God. Maybe they've gotten involved in some really sinful things. Paul says, when that happens, this is what you need to do. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. What Paul is saying to us as believers, that we need to 
have compassion for someone, but first of all, we've got to examine our own life, okay? Lord, forgive me of my sin. I know that I'm not perfect either, and we need to approach that person in meekness and humility with gentleness, not with a condemning finger, not with any, any harsh words, but, but just, I love you and I care for you. I remember when I was away from the Lord, I had dropped out of church, and my wife and I were uh, in our early part of our marriage, and I remember my Sunday school teacher, one of the youth Sunday school teachers or Sunday school superintendent, knocking on our front door and coming up, and he said, Brother Jim, I sure miss you in church. I tell you, he, did, he might not have thought that did anything, but I tell you, I was loaded down with conviction. And you know, that wasn't the word that brought me back to the Lord, but it was the beginning. And it was one of those things. And you don't know what kind of impact your life, your loving, gentle counsel can have on someone to get them back on the trail for the Lord. The firefighters were horrified when they entered the house. There in the bedroom were the lifeless bodies of a young mother and her two small sons. All three had died from a lack of oxygen as the fire blazed fiercely in their home. The fire department spokesman, John Hansen, held in his hands the charred remains of a smoke detector that had failed to sound the alarm. The battery wasn't in it he said. What a tragedy. Three lives were lost, which might have been saved if only the smoke detector had had batteries in it. No one likes the sound of a smoke alarm. Its strident shriek sets the nerves on edge and fills the hearer with alarm. But the noise, however unpleasant, is necessary if lives are to be saved. We as God's people can save fellow believers from a world of hurt, if we just speak up, if we just give them that word, send them that text, give them that phone call, knock on their door, just slip your arm around and them and say, how's things going? How can I pray for you to get some things restored in your life? You see, God has called us to love one another He's called us to forgive one another, to encourage one another, but he's also called us to admonish one another. Let's ask God to help us do that. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the people in my life, God, that knocked on my door, that spoke into my ears, that wrote me those letters, just because they love me enough to tell me the truth. And to get me back on the road, and I pray that, God, you would help us here at Peace River to, with your kindness and your love, to be a church that admonishes one another. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever.
someone that comes to mind that needs a word, needs a call from us, give us the courage in a spirit of meekness to make that word of admonishing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.